welcome to the Master of Divinity podcast. This is our third episode under the heading of Practical Theology, looking specifically at worship. So far, we've tackled the question, why worship? And then we looked at the history of worship from Jewish beginnings through the Protestant Reformation and beyond. Today, as promised, we're going to look at the elements of the service in some detail. But before we do that, we need to set the table with some general thoughts, beginning with the idea of theme. In some ways, the idea of thematic worship is self-evident. Christmas Eve has a theme, as does Good Friday and Easter. And without jumping straight to the seasons of the church year, we need to recognize that the year is populated with events and times that suggest a theme. Beyond the obvious, the idea of thematic worship demands more from us and the weekly choices we make. Generally, every service has a theme, suggested by the readings, the time of year, or events in the life of the church or society as a whole. In recent years, there's been a push to designate more and more Sundays to specific topics, which some find helpful and some find constraining. But as we noted last week, each church in the Reformed tradition can decide which themes to embrace and which to ignore. Back to the overall idea of theme, we also tried to tie the service together by choosing a theme and sticking to it. That means that the readings, hymns, prayers, sermon, children's time, if you have one, will all follow the theme. We don't want to be too dogmatic, but it makes sense to honor the time and the theme with some internal consistency. Now, we'll talk about hymns in a moment, but they provide the best examples of following theme. There are Advent hymns that anticipate Jesus' birth, and there are Lenten hymns that anticipate Jesus' death and resurrection. Waiting makes the Christmas carols and Easter hymns more meaningful, not less. But again, this is something that every congregation gets to decide. The biggest themes are found in the church year. The first Sunday of Advent is the beginning of the church year, and the weeks that follow complete our waiting before the season of Christmas. It's a season, albeit a short one, that then leads to Epiphany, the season of light that reveals Jesus' divinity. In short order, we are into Lent, a penitential season, which mirrors Christ's 40 days in the wilderness. We're encouraged to prepare for the drama of Christ's passion by searching ourselves. In the ancient church, it was also the accumulation of three years of baptismal preparation, which is mirrored in the tradition of Lenten study. After Holy Week, we enter the season of Easter, uh, an ongoing feast of Christ's resurrection. And again, in short order, we arrive at Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church. The many Sundays after Pentecost are called Ordinary Time, which takes us to Advent a few months later, and the cycle repeats. 
Every Sunday in this seasonal year has assigned readings, called electionary, an ancient tradition of trying to hear much of the Bible over a designated time. Most Protestant churches use the Revised Common Lectionary, a list of readings that spans three years. As I noted, it's organized by church season and provides four readings for each week, Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, Psalm, Epistle, and Gospel reading. Some congregations read all four, but many will focus on only one or two. A common pattern is reading the psalm responsively, leader and congregation back and forth, and then hearing one more reading. In some congregations, the gospel lesson is always read, even if it's not preached, while in others, the only reading shared is the text for the sermon. The advantage of the lectionary is it encourages the preacher and congregation to utilize most of the Bible over three years rather than favoring some readings and ignoring others. Of course, with four readings per week offered, you can still ignore some of the readings, but the encouragement remains. The disadvantage of the lectionary is that large portions of many books simply do not appear. There's just too much Bible for this three-year treatment when the readings are meant to be a reasonable length for public worship. Also, some argue that it doesn't allow for really delving into a topic like a sermon series or hearing the complete arc of a biblical narrative. Again, churches have the freedom to decide and have the opportunity to find the approach that best suits their needs. Related to the lectionary are a few other observations. The first is that the editors of the lectionary grouped the four readings together because they saw a thread, some connection between the readings, that may not be immediately obvious. I like to assume that the Holy Spirit was guiding their work and that the thread may have something important to show us. That being said, we're not tied to any or all of the readings and may decide to substitute as needed. In addition, the cut of the readings is another decision that the lectionary editors made on our behalf, but we're not bound to this. The worship leaders, or often just the preacher, may choose to lengthen or shorten a reading for the sake of the overall message. One of the rules that I've followed and would commend to others is that some readings cannot be read without being addressed. Jesus' teaching on divorce is an obvious example, or anything with violence or an extreme position taken. Uh, Jesus' hard saying about casting out an eye if it causes you to sin would be an example of this, and there are many others. So so let's pause here and discuss, uh, do you agree? Uh, Or perhaps uh, you take the opposite tack, that the Bible is the Bible, and we should just share these readings and let them speak whether we address them or not. Uh, Take a moment and pause the tape if you wish. Moving on, if the world's most thankless job is editing a book of hymns, then choosing hymns runs a close second. 
At some future date, there'll be a four-episode course on hymnody, where I will speak at great length about the importance of hymns in church. Until then, I will simply say that singing our faith transforms the words into something more meaningful, meaningful in ways that are difficult to describe or even understand. I guess the nearest parallel would be the difference between a poem and a love song. They may express the same emotions, but do so in different ways and reach people in different ways. There is considerable research on how music affects the brain, something we might say the church has always known. Again, uh, wait for that hymnody course, but trust me when I tell you that music in worship is very important. Selecting hymns, I can tell you from decades of experience, is seldom easy. Hymns should match the theme, the mood, the season, and, as we'll see in a few moments, the location within the service. We should endeavor to select hymns from a variety of centuries, not just my beloved 18th century. Uh, We should select hymns that use a variety of words to describe God and not just Father. Father is a fine metaphor for God, but it's not the only metaphor. We should be aware of language that equates darkness with evil or disability with lack of faith, and perhaps give those hymns a pass. There are many things to think about when we select hymns, including whether the congregation knows the tune at all. So here's a top tip. If you can't read music, uh, just Google the name of the tune, and it will appear somewhere online. Okay, for the rest of this episode, I want to look at a typical service and the elements you might find there. I'll explain as we go and add the odd caveat as well. Uh, We're already into controversy because I'm starting with announcements. Not literally announcements, but the part of the service that includes announcements. I'm making the case that welcome and announcements are placed at the beginning so as to not disturb the flow of the service. Announcements are an important part of the church's life, but most often related to worship. Some of you are just now saying, I thought the announcements were about the work of God's people, part of our response to God, and therefore best set after the sermon and before the prayers. Maybe. My sense is that the announcements can be welcoming and part of the way that we make people feel at ease in the service, unless they're not, and then we have to wonder if they have a place at all on a Sunday morning. Next is passing the peace. Only some congregations do this, but the ones that do insist that it builds community and adds meaning to the service. It has scriptural roots, with one example from 1 Peter 5, saying, Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Throughout the scriptures, believers are encouraged to greet each other with love and peace. Lighting the Christ candle. Again, some congregations have rituals, such as lighting the Christ candle at the beginning of the service. Christ candle reminds us that Christ is present in our worship and is the head of the worshiping community. Okay, now we're at opening prayers. You may call it call to worship and prayer of approach. This merging of greeting and prayer is most often a specific invitation to worship God together and reflects the theme of the day. 
some congregations use a call to worship based solely on the Psalms or some other part of Scripture. And like all the prayers in the service, the call to worship can be printed, can be responsive or spontaneous. The prayer to follow the call to worship is a brief opening prayer, which expresses praise and openness to God's transforming power in worship. That's a quote from Ruth Duck. The prayer acknowledges God's presence and asks God to make the gathered community open to the movement of the Spirit. Already we're at the first hymn. The opening hymn uh, praises God in song. It can be connected to the theme of the day, but often stands alone as an act of praise. Then we move to the confession. Uh, This prayer acknowledges that no one is free from sin and that each of us must consider the steps to seeking forgiveness. The prayer gives us the opportunity to take the first step to acknowledge our brokenness. It replaced individual confession from the Roman Catholic tradition. And the challenge for the author of such a prayer is to name our sin in a way general enough to be honest for the entire worshiping congregation. Again, that's guidance from Ruth Duck. It is often tied to the theme of the day. Uh, One must be careful to avoid sins that are applicable to only one segment of the congregation or are too controversial. Generally, human nature sins work well here, such as selfishness, judging others, or ignoring the state of the world. Um, Now we have a time of silent reflection, perhaps a sung response. The silence allows the worshiper to personalize the prayer and add their own confession. The sung response is to allow poetry and music to express the words of confession in an alternate way, recognizing that music reaches our soul in a unique way. Then we move to an assurance of pardon. The worship leader expresses God's mercy. It's also an opportunity to remind people that Jesus spoke forgiveness throughout the Gospels, transforming lives through compassion and mercy. Now we're at the readings. Uh, And I would have you uh, see above, of course, um, my extended section on lectionary, but also note that there may be a variety of actions related to Scripture, including standing for the gospel or some sort of response, spoken or sung. Next, in some congregations, there's a children's time. Time with the children declares their value as members of the household of faith, and it introduces them to various themes. In my experience, this is one of the most treasured parts of the service, based on congregational feedback. It gives the worship leader or preacher the opportunity to preview the sermon or lift up the theme of the day in a creative way. At Central, the congregation I retired from, a decline in the number of children meant that we could transition to a time of testimony, uh, posing questions and sharing personal stories. Then, uh, perhaps, the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is the first and oldest Christian prayer commended by Jesus for our use. Um, It's printed to help those who do not know it, It's quite helpful. In many congregations, the Lord's Prayer uh, follows the prayers of the people. Another hymn. 
Uh, the hymn before the sermon serves to reinforce the lessons and introduce the theme for the sermon. And then we have a sermon or a message. St. Augustine said that the purpose of preaching is to teach, delight, and inspire. Um, He stole this line from Cicero, so don't trust him to cite his sources. Uh, There is a future course on preaching coming under the banner of practical theology, so stay tuned for that. The hymn after the sermon uh, reinforces the proclaimed word, celebrates the grace that has been communicated in the sermon. We take up the offering. There's a prayer, offertory prayer, uh, and it acknowledges all of God's gifts and asks that our money and our service be dedicated to the furtherance of God's realm. And we have pastoral prayers. Uh, Ruth Duck uh, says this form of prayer brings human need before God in hope, trust, and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness. It includes prayer for the church, for all humanity, and for all of creation, as well as prayers for one another in the local community of faith. Following this, uh, there's a hymn, again, usually echoes uh, the purpose of the commissioning and blessing, and the commissioning and blessing, or ascending forth, invites the congregation to live out their calling, and the blessing assures people that they go with grace and love and the help of the Trinity. So a final question before we stop. What part of the service do you find most engaging or inspiring? Or is there a part of the service I described that you could live without? Um, Pause the tape if you wish. As we prepare to conclude for today, I'm going to suggest a little homework for you. You never said there'd be homework. Uh, Think about the various prayers mentioned in the last section and perhaps write one of the prayers. Call to worship, prayer of approach, confession for the truly brave, uh, prayers of the people, or a commissioning. Short is good, and just to aid in the effort, Imagine it's the beginning of summer and you want to mark it as your theme. Have a good week, and thanks for joining me.